0: god's blessing here we have man at his best now we have quite a few different things that come along with creation things that have split the church in the past and i'm going to bring one of them up to you today did adam have a belly button it's right. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But you would be surprised that this has split churches over the centuries. Now, I tend to think that Adam did have a belly button, but he didn't need a belly button, right? Um, because he wasn't born from a womb of a mother. He was born from God. However, I think God uh, did that. And, man, wouldn't you look kind of weird without a belly button? So I just tend to say um, we're made in God's image, Dare I say, God's got a belly button. I don't know about that one. I can't go that far. Jesus did, though, didn't he? Man at his best. We have no sin. There's no corruption of the ground or the animals. We see seeds come out growing. They're being watered by the water underneath. Work is relatively easy. Each plant has a purpose. They're not corrupted. They're not tainted by the fall. Water does all the work, and life was breathed into man. I think that's a theme that you see throughout uh, Scripture. A lot of times that um, talks about spirit there. It also talks about um, just life in general and um, miraculous things happen when God, the Spirit of God breathed into us. And life was breathed in man, and they become a living person, because God is a God of life. God creates the tree of life, and he places it in the middle of the garden of Eden, and Eden means delight, okay? So we are God's delight in man at this time. And he does this, he does all this, all this creation to sustain man forever, okay, he doesn't put the tree of life in there to, 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 to have us go for a good year. It's there forever. There's a communion, in a sense, with that tree and when we're supposed to eat and uh, God's sustaining us and things. And I can only get that picture a little bit because of what we have with the tree in Revelation. Okay? So we will talk about that just a little bit at the end, but we will read that passage of scripture, okay? So I am, I'm drawing that conclusion of there w- would be a time to eat to sustain life because that's how it's going to be in Revelation. I don't necessarily know that in Genesis. It may have been just eat it once and done. It may have been uh, you have to have it every day. It might be that it's once a month. I don't know. But in Revelation, that tree, you have to have it once a month, Okay, so that's kind of where I went with that. This is a great picture of God's love. He is our provider. He's given us everything that we need and probably could ever ask or want. His creation is perfect. And we will return to this state someday. Amen? That's what our hope is. That's what our desire is, that we get to heaven. Heaven's going to be this place that's going to be this. He's going to create a new earth then, and that's where we'll be able to dwell uncorrupted and in harmony with the Lord. So, Revelation speaks of another tree in, in 22, 1 through 5, and this is where I get some of those context clues. Uh, different tree, it's a different tree, but I made the assumptions that some of the patterns would be the same. So, that is not biblical, that is just a shamanism. I, I want to make that clear, okay? So verses 1 through 5, it says, The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. With a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse among anything for the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. So God has a plan to bring us back to his perfection, doesn't he? We see these this crop coming from this tree once a month. The growth cycle on that tree is pretty amazing is all I'm going to say. Because right now we, we get apples about once a year, pears once a year, cherries about once a year. Uh, you can kind of double up those crops if you... Get a certain variety of them and go to a tropical climate, but otherwise it's pretty hard to do that, isn't it? So we have the river of life, and over that is growing the tree of life, and that is where we're going to return to His perfection. We have that at the end of the story, and we have it at the beginning of the story. It kind of it's kind of like going back full circle. It's not a hundred percent, but it's something similar to that. Okay, um, if you get Down and very specific, it's not the same, but it's very, very similar. And then we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's too bad we didn't have an ax. Am I right? We would have taken care of some problems right away, right? I think it would have grown back. I think it would have fruited right away because there's always a choice God wants us to choose him in worship. That's what it is. Are we going to choose our own way, our own arrogance, our own pride in the sense that I can do this all by myself kind of attitude, or are we going to choose Christ? And when we choose Christ, we choose life. So will we continue to trust God, or would our curiosity get the best of us? Well, my first reaction used to be, and praise God it was corrected pretty quick on this one, but my first reaction used to be, I wish I, it was the first Shane and not the first Adam, right? I wish I was the first one there, because I would have got it right. This was uh, fourth through sixth grade, Shane, um, I'd like to say I got better after that. In this particular area, I did, but no, I didn't. I just got more arrogant, but I, uh, a pseudo-false humility on this, right? right. So I was like, yeah, um, I wouldn't have messed up. It, it's pretty obvious that there's a tree that you're not supposed to eat. You're told not to eat. And um, I remember my Sunday school teacher saying, you know, uh, but his, his wife was actually the one who ate, well, that was easy. You just don't listen to her. Well, that's easy when you're a fourth grader. You don't even, you're not even attracted to <laughs> girls, right? And you think about this, and she was the first woman. So she's obviously drop-dead gorgeous because she's made out of um, Adam. So he's, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. And I can say that um, having a drop-dead gorgeous wife myself, um, it's hard not to follow them sometimes. So, was this an arrogant statement? I wouldn't have messed up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To say, to assume This one would assume that I'm better than Adam, right? So I, I have the ability to choose better than Adam, which if you look at Adam in Scripture, you kind of find out that he's about second to Jesus, Jesus is the only one that's a little bit better than Adam because he's the only one that's been created um, in perfection. He didn't have the sin nature that I even have. And I, that, that would even want to bolster me a little bit more and puff my chest. up. Well, if I didn't have my sin nature, of course I would have chose correct. Oh, boy. I could just see my Sunday school teacher. She was very patient. You could, if She had you, amen. She was definitely patient. I assume I know better than god as well in that right because he created adam first he didn't create shane first he created adam first so if he wanted shane first he would have put in there first he didn't so you came way down the line so just uh know your place there son and then lastly i'm assuming that my own goodness would save me and not god because ultimately, isn't that what got Adam? He chose to follow his own goodness, and he didn't choose to follow the Lord's commands. Will you be like God? Yes, you will know the difference between good and evil if you eat of that tree. You will know it. And eventually you will die if you eat of that tree. And we'll see next week they, they touch it. Oh, I didn't die then. And they change the, the Lord's what he said. They said, well, even if I touch it, I won't die. Did you die when you touch it? No, well, no, I didn't. Well, that's not what the Lord said. So you wonder why, where Eve got that from if Adam told Eve, because if you look here, uh, the, the tree was created before Eve was created. So it was Adam's responsibility to make sure the decrees were passed down to his wife. My first reaction goes to my sin and my need for a Savior. Now, now I, I, I see that I would choose that. I would be very quick to choose that, probably. And I know now, instead of taking Adam's place, that I need to stay in my place and I need to choose my Savior because I'm going to sin when given the choice unless I have that Savior um, battling and waging war against my sin nature. Genesis 2 reminds us that evil is not of God. Therefore, God can defeat evil. And God, God creates nothing sinful. Sin comes from the creature and not from the Creator from beneath and not from above. Genesis chapter 2, 10 through 17, it reads like this A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Peshan, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure, aromatic resin and onyx stone also found there. The second branch called the Gishan flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch called the Tigris flows flowed each of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend the wa- and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If, you're, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. The next one I put in there is called free will. Also, I intentionally left out talking about um, verses 11 through 14. There's a lot of symbolism in there. And when my Jewish scholar commentary um, guy I listened to Uh, Baruch won't touch it, then I won't either. (laughs) So he's like, there's a lot of controversy there. There's too much to be said. I'm going to stay clear of it. So that's what I'm going to do as well. I'm just going to steer clear of a lot of this. It it gets into the mystic mystic arts and the mysticism, and that's not really uh, what Christianity is. Our power and our authority come from Jesus Christ alone, and that's all we need to worry about. Free will, trust God's definition of good and evil or seize autonomy and define good and evil for ourselves. That's what we have with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do we trust God's definition and say, listen, if you, you don't, you don't necessarily know what evil is, but you will, if you eat of that tree, you'll understand it. Okay. Okay. So we can be like God, we can be like God and eat of it, or we can trust in God that we are like him and not eat it. Well, curiosity killed the cat, right? The canary got out of the box, whatever story that you want to listen to or or hear from Ephesop's fables, or this is the um, creation account as we know it. But if you look at this choice, the stakes are really high, are they not? They are the highest any man has ever faced, with the exception of maybe Christ on the cross. When he died on the cross and taking the sin like he did, the weight would have been heavier for him and harder. And he uh, rose above and did that. To rebel against God... I thought this was interesting. This is a statement I found while I was studying. To rebel against God is to embrace death because God is the giver of life. He says, if you treat this as good, if you treat what I've taught you as as good and you follow it, you will always have life. But if you choose the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will embrace death. Something that you don't know about, but you're not going to like it. And we see this goodness of life represented in the tree of life, which God has given us. And it eventually has to separate us from because of sin. So why did God give us free will? Wouldn't it have just solved a lot of problems if we didn't have free will? We'd all be good. We would all wouldn't have to worry about our sin nature and things. But God desires to have a relationship with us. He desires for us to choose to worship him. And he doesn't want us to be some robots. He wants us to have free will to choose him. And now we're free to choose to worship him. And wow, that's great. That is amazing and it blows my mind. Way. But you might say, wait a minute, if God is all-knowing, doesn't he know who is going to heaven and hell already? I thought that was a good question. I thought I'd better look it up from an apologist and see what he said, had to say about that. And yes, the answer is yes, he does know who's going to heaven and hell before Well, how can you say that we have free will if God already knows? Well, he gave this illustration, and I thought it was a great one, so I'm going to give it to you as well today. Sports. Does anybody like football in here? I'm glad Craig came today because I know he does, and I also know that he will will record a game or two of football because sometimes his pastor gets long-winded, and he doesn't get to see the front side of that game, or maybe he's busy, Like um, during the football season, we have basketball, so we don't get to see football games all the time. And so as we go through, let's say that you may have Sunday ticket for NFL because you're busy on Sunday and you miss a lot of games, right? And you're going home to watch, say, games, because you want them fresh, you want them great, and your best friend texts you all the scores, and you happen to glance down, and you see that one that you were just about ready to go home and watch, and you see who wins and who loses, right? And you're like, ah, I was saving those. I wanted to know the outcome, and i got to have to talk to my friend and, and get those, but let's say you decide to watch one of those games anyway, because your favorite team is there, and even though you know the outcome, question, does that mean the players on the field don't have free will, because you already know the outcome, it's already recorded, no, they had the free will to make the choices, to make the plays that they did, that came to the outcome of the game. Because the problem with this, like in this illustration, is God is outside of time, right? He's not bound by time. And so he can see from the beginning and the end, and he knows what's going to happen everywhere in between, but he is not bound by those things. So he knows the outcome of those things, but he doesn't necessarily go down and tool all those things, though he can, because he's going to make sure his outcome is going to happen, and you see that in history, sometimes where he has to reach down and intentionally make sure that his word is saved, it's pure, um, is carried out, his bloodlines aren't lost, that's the story of Noah, and that things are corrected, and sometimes he does a reset on those things. So God is outside of time. He knows the difference between the end and the beginning. Sometimes we don't know the difference between the beginning and the end, do we? Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, when we start into a trial, is this the beginning of a long trial, or is it maybe the beginning end? We don't know if we're in the middle of it. We don't know in the midst of it. We don't know if we've walked into something that we didn't know. Because we don't know, because we are bound by time. Christ is not bound by time, and so he knows all these things. He has created us, he is the creator, we are the created, and he is not bound by time. Okay, so the next question. Why would God create someone he would know is going to hell? It's a tough question, too. That's a really good question, right? And that's all the time we have for today. Oh, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, all joking aside, uh, God is obligated to stop a crea- is. Okay, here's the question. Is God obligated to stop a creation if they do not choose to follow him? It wouldn't be free will, would it? We wouldn't have free will if we could choose not to follow God. Okay? So, is he obligated to uncreate them? Okay? So, let's walk through that process. I don't think he is. So, let's say the first two are following God, following Christians, and the third one, born, is not. What if God wouldn't allow him to be born? Well, I can guarantee I would not be here today if that were the case, right? Because I know in my family line, I do have unbelievers in there, and I have others that have been saved by grace, and therefore I've been saved by grace because I've chosen to follow him through faith, right? Right? So it comes back to free will. If I have free will, I have free will to choose him or not to choose him. And can God use both? Yes, he can. He has used unbelievers to get his um, trials across. You see that in the story of Joseph. Right? His brothers sold him into slavery because they hated him. And he says, what you've intended for evil, God has intended for good. He's done that with Pharaoh. He's hardened Pharaoh's heart because he knew that's where Pharaoh's heart was going to be anyway. And so God used Moses to combat a hardened heart Pharaoh and to get his will done and to prove that he was God. Okay, both had free will to choose God. One chose not to, one chose to. God wins, just so you know, right? So I believe we live in a broken world. And as a Christian, we believe we are born into a sin nature. We are corrupted from the start. And if this is the case, when it comes down to it, if one and two were born then the third wouldn't have been born at all. We would have never had Cain and Abel, right? Because that's why that story is in the Bible. When we get there, we're going we're gonna to slow down and emphasize Cain and Abel and stuff because it um, it's just really come to light to me, and I'm excited about sharing that with you. I think that will be in two or three weeks, I'm guessing two. Genesis chapter 2 reminds us evil is not from God. God created nothing Sinful sin comes from the creator, or from the sin comes from the creature and not from the creator. From the from beneath and not from above. I got that point from a commentary, and so that's why I can't read it very well. But it was so good that I had to keep it. Um, it was on the sermon.net, but I can't remember uh, who the pa- the preacher was. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is verse 18. And I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the skies and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed up the opening and then the Lord made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this is the bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because he was she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united in one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. As was created in the beginning, so we believe in this church... That's the sanctity of marriage, one man and one woman, right? There's no combination of those two. And if you look in the natural order of things, it takes one man and one woman to procreate. And that also points to what's natural in creation, okay? If you look at all the created beings out there, There has to be one male and one female, and they come together to procreate as well. It's a natural order of things, and if they try to do it a different way, they die out. It doesn't work, right? That's what we believe. That's what uh, the Bible teaches, and that's where we will hold firm on, on the Bible's teaching. We have the first marriage, and this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Jesus adds to this in Matthew chapter 19 verse 6. It says, "Since they are no longer two but one, let one split apart, but let no one split apart where God has joined together." Right? That is the bond of marriage in Christ's eyes. So how does that work? Because I know math, and 1 plus 1 equals 2. So how can we have this 1 plus 1 coming together and equal 2? Right, That makes sense. But the, the problem is wrong. It's not an addition problem, it's a multiplication problem, okay? Because you have to have two holes, and when you have two holes, it equals another hole. And I would say in a Christian marriage, you have three holes. You have one full man times one full woman times the Holy Spirit equals one good marriage. It's one times one times one equals one. Have you ever heard of the the term codependency, where you have to have somebody to make you a complete person because you're not a complete person? You could say that you're half a person, right? And you... Generally, a codependent person will attract another codependent person because they think if they come together, a half plus a half equals a whole. But it's not an addition problem, is it? It is a multiplication problem. By the way, if you ever get married by me, this is, this is uh, uh, premarital counseling 101 right here, okay? it is. It would be a multiplication problem of... 0.5 times 0.5 equals a quarter or 0.25, right? You will destroy each other if you try to become each other's savior. Okay? If you try to find salvation in anything other than Christ Jesus, you will destroy it. Amen? Have you ever tried it? I have. I've tried to find pleasures in this life. I've tried to replace Christ as much as I possibly can because I'm a sinful man. But when I turn to him and I put him in those things and I give him those things, he gives them right back to me in a blessing that I can appreciate because I am under his authority and I have a wife that I can love because she is a whole person. And I am a whole person in Christ. And as we draw closer to the Lord, we draw closer together. And that's what makes a marriage work. You ever ask somebody that's been married for 67 years? Is that where you guys are at now? 71. Look at them. They're just going. They don't stop. 71 years. If you ever ask them what it takes to make a marriage last that long, And they'll say the same thing as what the Bible says. Love requires sacrificial action every time. If you want to love somebody and you want them to love you, you have to sacrifice yourself and your own needs to put them in front of you. And they do the same thing. And if you're both working together, you can both climb. It's like walking in a narrow hallway and you got to get to the top of the hallway or maybe it's a mountain and you got a cliff on each side you got to put your backs together and you push and if you're both pushing at equal you can both climb and walk up that wall but if one of them stops pushing it makes it a lot harder on the other partner doesn't it and if they keep stop pushing or if they both quit pushing they'll both fall and the marriage will crash it takes sacrificial action Right? That's what it takes. Who sets that example the best? Christ. And if we want to love sacrificially, we need to put him in the center of our marriages. Amen? It's the only way to do it. So, let's see, where am I at now? I just went off the record here. So, This also explains why we have marriage, doesn't it? God put marriage into effect. It is the first covenant that we see in the Bible. It is the covenant of marriage. That's also why they want to distort it in our culture today. Okay, Because they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to point to God. Because if it points to God, then it points to our moral code. And if you have a moral code, that means I can't do what I want which is straight out of the book of Satan, right? Do as thou wilt, follow your heart. What? That's Disney. No, it's not. That's Satan, right? That's where they get it from. That's humanism. That's Hellenism. All those things point to making yourself your own God, okay? That's the religion of those things coming from different points of view. Whoa, wait a minute here, pastor. They didn't it says um, and this is the reason why two come it keeps saying that, but it doesn't say why two came together. It doesn't say that. It just kind of quotes 24 and then and then we're stuck back. I don't know why. I don't know why two are supposed to come together as one. It doesn't explain the whole front side of. How they were attracted and things, and that's that's where I had the problem with. alright. Let's back up and hit this again. We're at the point of creation. And I think Adam, he's finishing up his work, right? This is um, he's naming all the animals, and this is just an illustration. That's how I'm gonna do it. It's kind of how I figure it, right? Good old Shaneism. God is uh, He's presenting that animals and He's asking. Well, what, what would you call this one? Well, that there, well, that's a big cat. I'm going to call that one a lion. And what would you call its partner? I'm going to call that a lioness. Oh, good, good. Well, what about this one over here? Well, that's another big cat. I'm going to call that a tiger. And I'm going to call that one a tigeress. Oh, good, good. That's great. What about all these, all these swimming around in the, in the pond? Well, I'm just going to call those fish. But there's all kinds of different fish in there, Adam. No, I'm just going to call them fish. They're fish. We don't need to. It. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, God. You know, the color blue. It's blue. And he's like, well, uh, there's different shades, Adam. No, it's blue. This isn't good. And, and you're getting kind of grumpy, Adam. I'm not getting grumpy. You're the one that's getting grumpy. Well, it's time for you to take a... And there he goes to sleep, right? Adam goes to sleep. And he's throwing his, his two-day-old tantrum because that's all older Adam is, and he doesn't know how to do this. Maybe I don't know. He doesn't have sin nature, so he probably didn't go quite like this. But since uh, I'm not star- tired, falls asleep, and that's when woman is created. Right? When does God create woman? After most of the work is done. Right. Adam has gone around, and he's named, he's gone around named plants and animal, maybe not all the fish, um, definitely hasn't got the color blue down yet, and as he goes through this thing, he looks at all these things, and woman is created, and now we have names for fish, and we have multiple colors of blue, thank God for women, (laughs) right, otherwise we just, what's that, it's a fish. What's that, blue, green, yellow? Oh, man, we got a lot to learn, men. Lots to learn. When God created the female of the species, God could see, or Adam could see, well, where's my half? We have the lion and the lioness. We have the tiger and the tigress. We have the bull and the cow. We have the ram and the ewe. Where? is my partner. And I think God did that on purpose, because we're thick-skulled males, right? And he wanted us to realize the need for women. And notice that he does it at the end of all the hard work. There's nothing left for them to do necessarily, maybe except to name the color blue and the the fish, right? But we have the, it's there for, she's there for our good pleasure. And we're there for her good pleasure. Okay? That's what creation is about, and that's why it's there. And when he wakes up, he looks over, and the classic joke is, whoa, man! <laughs> it's classic. You can't, you can't not do that one on a Genesis chapter 2. And that's how a woman got her name right? As we look at God's creation, we see the world and everything in it is created for man. And then after much work is done, woman is created. Woman is created as a helper to man. And for this reason, man has a partner life, a blessing. Now I want to trepidatiously look at woman. I'm going to say trepidatiously because I am not a woman. But you can see if I agree, if you agree with me on this uh, statement. I look at woman as the beauty of God. God allows woman to bring life into the world. What an awesome gift. It's something that we will never understand as men. Not quite like a woman does. God creates woman after much of the work is done. This allows man to focus on his wife and not his job, to bond and to grow together. Okay, if your husband's sleeping this time, you want to give him a good nudge because this is important, right? And I think this is also what sex was intended for, right? We want to make sure that sex is a bonder of the marriage, it is not something to be flippantly given out. Sex is a bond. It bonds not only physically, it bonds emotionally and spiritually as well. How do I know that? You ever see somebody that's been divorced and they're half the person that they were? It's because that bond has been broken. And they said, well, they were miserable together, but look at them apart. And it's hard. And they, when you crush Uh, especially a woman, over and over and over again, it changes her soul. And it takes a long time to bring that beauty back out of her and draw it out. And I see it's possible. It is possible because I've seen second and third marriages work. But they only work when Christ is in the center of those. The statistics of somebody getting A divorce after they've gotten one divorce is astronomical. It just goes, skyrockets. Because now they realize that they they can have a choice. They have free will. They can choose who they want. And sometimes the rebound marriage right after was a poor choice anyway. And we see such a beautiful giving of each other when we come together together. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. It says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the woman should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Sacrificial action. Right there. In sex. Sex is a tool to, not to get what you want. It is a tool... To give. It's something to give pleasure. That is the only reason why it's there for, and God saw that it was good. It's, it is a bond that draws the marriage closer together, and there's such more to be said about this. This is only session one of premarital counseling of five sessions. I could go into four more very easily. There's, but I will say this this is something that kind of wraps these all up. Fire is a great tool, isn't it? It does a lot of things to uh, melt metal. It can, d- it can get rid of trash and waste. It can, um, when it's controlled, it can do some mighty things. It's very powerful. Sex, if, it's, if it is kept in the bonds of marriage, it can be the same way. But if either one of these gets out of their boundaries... They can be so destructive to our body, our mind, and our spirit. Amen? Sex is designed to be in the bonds of marriage. It is important that it is there. And um, it's an amazing thing that the Lord has given us there. So is sex bad? No. God created it. God created it for pleasure. But he designed it with boundaries in the bonds of marriage, and that's important. Yes, I believe women are the beauty of God. Men, this requires something of us. We are daily to die to self and search for ways to serve our wives. And I say men because I generally see in the partnership of marriage that wives do more of the serving. We are to pour into them compliments. If we don't water the plants, then nothing grows, right? Therefore, if we do not compliment our wife, she does not come to full bloom like she should be. And we are to watch out for the little things that hurt a marriage. In Song of Solomon, which is the ultimate marriage book, And it is not for somebody to read if you are not married, because it's not talking about the beauty between the Heavenly Father and His church. It is talking about two men. It's about a man pursuing a woman and a woman pursuing a man sexually. It's in the Bible. It's in Song of Solomon. We are to pour into them compliments and song of... And then we're supposed to watch out for the little things. In Song of Solomon, it's called the little foxes in the vineyard. Watch out for the little foxes in the vineyard. What do the little foxes do to a vineyard? They run through the buds and they nip them off because they're sweet. And so they'll eat the buds. And what does that do to your grape vines and your grape production? It tanks it, right? Because you don't have any um, grapes on the vine. And so it says to make sure you take care of the foxes before they become a problem and we don't get to produce the fruit that a marriage is supposed to produce. The little things in marriage that destroy the fruit of the marriage. Cut them off before they become big things. Genesis chapter 2 reminds us evil is not of God. God creates nothing sinful. Sin comes from... The creature, not from the creator, from beneath, not from above. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that um, you've been a blessing to us. Lord, I pray that you'd watch over the the marriages here at White Rose, that you would... um, bond them together in your love and that you would um, draw them closer as they draw closer to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for our time together and as we come together we confess um, our sins to you, Lord. You are the God that heals us from this disease of sin. Lord, forgive us when we turn to the right or left. Lord, forgive us when we Uh, take sex out of context when we look at pornography because it is something that looks good, but it's it's not. It's from death, and it doesn't help our marriages. It doesn't help our future marriages either. Lord, I, I pray that you would forgive us when we choose our own path and that we think what we know is correct but it's not, Lord. Your ways are right, and we, if we were to learn that from the get-go, we would have had it for eternity. Lord, allow us to trust you, not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you, and you will direct our paths. Guide and direct us that way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.